Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. My name is Josh and I'm part of the core community of CMYK. We're a bunch of people in Billings, Montana, creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together. One reason I love CMYK is for the people that are here. Before we jump in, I want you to know everything we do as CMYK depends on a generous donation from our local and online community. People just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together. So if you love what CMYK is up to and want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more of those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this Sunday's CMYK gathering. My name is Matt, and I'm so excited. If you're tuning in live, thanks so much for checking it out. We've got a lot of great comments and just people saying hi and hello, saying some really nice things about Parker Brown's music that we just listened to. If you don't know Parker Brown, one, you are missing out, and two, there's a musical hole in your life that we want to make sure that uh, that void can be filled because his music is incredible. So that comes off his album, and actually came out a couple years ago. You can find it where all music is streamed, I'm sure. So make sure to check out Parker Brown. That's the first album or the first track off of his album, uh, We Were Young, and it is a phenomenal album and a phenomenal man at that. So I hope you are all doing well. Uh, We are in the midst of a series of talks that we've been having simply entitled The New Normal. And we're talking about this thing called resurrection, uh, new life, and COVID-19 and how those two things just might mix. And you've probably been following along in the news and you've probably seen some things take place this week where things are starting to slowly open up. Things are starting to slowly, the gates are slowly opening for things starting to happen. And it's going to be really interesting to see what takes place as we move forward. But in the midst of this series, the last couple weeks, and then tonight and the next couple weeks, we want to talk about this concept and idea of the new normal. This COVID-19, it's a pandemic. It changed everything for most of planet Earth for a significant period of time. And for many people, it still continues to be a significant deal. It's not going anywhere soon. And so the question for us is, what happens after this? What happens in the midst of this that we can find new life and resurrection in the midst of what's taking place? And tonight, particularly, I want to talk about the new normal when it comes to beliefs and our idea and concept of God. There's this idea that's known within uh, stories, within films, within theater, and it's known as the deus ex machina. And maybe you've heard this phrase or this statement before, but it comes from Greek theater, Greek tragedies, and it was this idea of God from the machine, that there would be a path that a story is taking, that things are going in a certain way, characters are expected that, okay, this is what's happening, oh no, good good is going to happen, or bad is going to happen, whatever's taking place, you're anticipating 
This is the natural outcome of the course things are on. But because of a deus ex machina, a god from the machine, and the reason it has that name is because they would literally lower a god character from Greek mythology into the play, similar to this, and this god character would show up on the scene and would drastically alter and affect the story that was taking place. So where things were headed in a certain direction, because of this deus ex machina coming down, and affecting the story, things all of a sudden take a turn and are now different. It's something coming in seemingly out of nowhere to impact what was naturally going to take place. One of the most famous uh, things that I think of when it comes to a deus ex machina in our current culture, in current stories and films, is that moment and that scene at the end of Jurassic Park. I hope you've seen it, because here we go. Spoiler alert. Dr. Grant and everybody around are surrounded by raptors. It's a scary thing, and it looks like all options have been thrown out there, and nothing is working that now this is the end because the raptors are surrounding these individuals, and it's the end. But then there is this deus ex machina, this thing that appears seemingly out of nowhere, the T-Rex, that comes and chomps one of the raptors, and the raptors then attack the T-Rex, allowing Dr. Grant and his colleagues to escape in that moment. It's a beautiful scene, mainly because of John Williams' score that comes, swells in, and it's just epic and awesome. And everything we love about story and film is taking place in that moment. But it's a perfect picture and image of what a deus ex machina is. Now, why, in the midst of COVID-19, are we talking about this Greek theater thing? Why are we talking about this thing that happens over and over and over again in books that you've read? And TV shows that you watch where something, everything is headed in a certain direction and because a character shows up, because something's discovered, or because this random thing takes place, all of a sudden everything, twist, is now different. Why would we be talking about deus ex machina? Because for many of us, when we think about this concept and idea of God, this is what we know. That our lives are headed in a certain direction, things are pointed a certain way, and it seems like things are going to happen. And what we, for many of us, have grown up seeing and believing, whether it's in our own homes or just culturally projected, is that there is this being, this thing that is out there, that is going to come in and going to impact and change our lives. And things are going to be different because God shows up. He's a deus ex machina. For many of us, we know what it's like to pray prayers, that things are happening and we're praying, God, would you show up and would you change the outcome? And when things do change and when things do get better, many times within faith or belief and religion, we find ourselves pointing at this God for why things are better. Why did I get healed? Why are things different? Well, because God showed up. Why did I get an A on that test? Because God gave me the answers. Why am I happy and why is there joy? Because God has given me joy. Things were headed in a certain direction, but all of a sudden things are better. And you take the reverse of that as well. Why are things tragic? Why are things not going the way that they should? Well, because God isn't showing up or God is doing something here that is causing this reality to be. He is this seemingly out-of-nowhere presence that seems to just show up to impact and change the course of what is naturally going to take place. 
Now, the reality is this has not only been a storytelling thing for thousands and thousands of years from Greek theater to now and Jurassic Park and everything that we watch and experience, they always show up, it seems. But this is something that has always, in many ways, been a part of religion, spirituality, and belief. That we have this idea that there is a God or culturally, historically, gods out there that we have to pray to, we have to appease, we have to do certain things. And if and when we do those things, these gods will show up and impact the course of our lives. And things will be better or, what we see historically, things will be worse for our enemy because this God shows up. And many of us are in a state right now in quarantine, COVID-19, and there's this potential to hold on dearly to this belief and this idea of God that we've got to pray to, we've got to seek, we've got to hope that God shows up and intervenes and just changes the course of everything because this is what God is for many of us and has been historically for generations. But as we've been talking about when it comes to where we're currently at and this idea of resurrection, new life in the midst of what's taking place, I find it fascinating that there is this narrative that's found throughout Scripture over and over and over again that speaks nothing about a deus ex machina kind of God, a God that shows up, a hand reaching in to impact and change our lives, but it's something completely different and far more, I think, beautiful and powerful than this deus ex machina ever will be. There's a particular moment that I want to look at that's found in the story of Exodus. And many of us have heard this story before. The uh, Israelites, the Hebrew people, they're currently enslaved by the Egyptians. Pharaoh is their leader. They don't want to be slaves. They're miserable. They want out. And we find this man, Moses, has been exiled from his people and he's in the wilderness. And he has this call from God at the beginning of Exodus to go and liberate and free his people. Now, this is a huge deal. This is a significant thing that is happening that Moses is being called to go back to Pharaoh, go back to Egypt and communicate to his people and to the Egyptian government. Hey, just so you know, um, my people are going to be free. So cool. All right. See you later. (laughs) This is a terrifying thing to think about that you, this guy in the wilderness is going to go back and make this kind of thing happen. So obviously Moses in this interaction where he is experiencing this call from God, He's having this dialogue where God is specifically saying, hey, this is what I'm inviting you to be a part of and to do. He has some reservations about how this is going to go. It's an incredibly significant and popular moment that's found within the scripture. And it's this found in Exodus chapter 3. It says, Then Moses said to God in the midst of all of this trepidation, like, what? should I do this or not? If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So here it is. There is this moment in the scene within scripture where God is about to be defined by a name. Now, for many of us, names aren't the most significant thing in the world. We have watched celebrities have some really interesting names for their kids. Uh, You know, that's just what they choose to call their kid. Okay, that's fine. But within ancient historical cultures, a name carried a level of intimacy, particularly when it came to divine 
identities, beings, gods, for you to know the name of a god or being or an entity, it meant that you had intimacy with that divine, significant, mysterious thing. So a name carried a level of intimacy for you to carry and to know a being or a thing or person's name with an ancient culture. And so Moses, in this moment of like, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, is asking specifically for God's name to show that there is a level of intimacy and understanding of what's taking place and happening here. And so what does God give as his name in this moment? It says, God said in response to Moses, here's his name. You ready? I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is crazy. Now, some of us have interacted with this passage of scripture before. Some of us understand what's happening here. But Moses is looking for this intimate interaction between, okay, who or what is this God? Give me your name. And God responds with, okay, you want to know the name of God? You want to know God on an intimate level? Here it is. It's this. It's I am. Ta-da. That's it. Which for many of us, again, if we've interacted with it before, we've heard this phrase in this statement. But for Moses in this moment in the story, to be the first person to hear this, essentially what Moses is being heard is in the Hebrew language, this word I am is translated essentially Yahweh. It's where the Hebrew Jewish tradition finds the name, the most sacred, intimate name of God to be, Yahweh. And what's fascinating about this translation of I am or Yahweh, it can simply be translated to be. You want to know what my name is, God says? It's to be or it's existence. You want to know what my name is? It's presence. It's being. It's reality. That's what my name is. Now, this is crazy. Remember, Moses is supposed to go back to Egypt, go back to Pharaoh and his people and say, hey, just so you know, I have been called by God to, to be a part of this liberating, freeing thing for my people. And to show you that I know what's going on, here's who's behind me. Existence. Reality. That's the name that is given. It's to be. It's I am. That's that's who's behind this and what's behind this. What is taking place here? Moses is invited to see God not as some outside personality. Not as some name that is in the great beyond, out there in the heavens, that Moses is trying to show and to say, hey, I have this connection with something that's way out there. It's way, 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 way up there. And I have this direct line to God. And so here's the intimacy and the level that I'm about to bring you. This deus ex machina is about to come down and I'm going to show you the intimacy that I have. Here's his name and he's going to do it. No, Moses has a name that says, no, it's just here. It's existence. It's reality. It's presence. It's being. This is God. This is the divine. This is the liberating, freeing, justice-bringing force that is going to be a part of this story and is a part of this story. And what does God say? God says, this has always been my name because I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've always been this. And he says, this will always be my name. I will always be 
this, that God is not defined as something out there somewhere in the ether that we're trying to call down and uh, impact and change everything. God is simply this existence, presence, reality here in our midst. Moses isn't trying to get everybody to come back to a bush and say, hey, I need you to interact with God because God is found over here. No, Moses in this moment in courts with Pharaoh and in this moment with the Israelites when he goes back is simply saying there is this presence, this reality, this to be, I am here and we are invited to be a part of that reality, connection and existence. This isn't an old man in the sky. This isn't a hand reaching in. This isn't a deus ex machina coming to save save the day. This is to be existence, reality, here and now, inviting your life into freedom and joy. And what's fascinating is the minute we begin to see that this truly is who God is, we begin to see it all throughout the scriptures over and over and over again, that this divine presence, this be, is everywhere. It's found in everything. Even the earth and the ground is sacred and infused with this presence, this divinity, this sacredness of God. It's even found throughout the scriptures over and over again in others. And the other being not just someone that looks like me, talks like me, acts like me, but actually our enemies, those that don't believe, those that don't think, those that don't agree or look or act different than us, that this presence, this God, again, not out there, but is simply here now in this moment. And we are invited to see that he is simply to be defined. His name has always been and shall always be existence, presence, reality. Now, many people over the years have worked hard to try and talk about this and to try and point at and bring language to it, because obviously this seems <laughs> very, very out there, particularly if you're used to dealing with God as some old man in the sky out there. This is a concept that feels kind of crazy and goofy. And so many people over the years have tried to bring their own language to it. And I love what so many people have said over the years, people far smarter and more educated than me. People like the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says and defines God as the beyond in the midst of our life, a depth of reality reached not on the borders but at its center, that there's something happening at the center of life. And then we're invited to engage and interact there. Or the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says that God is a deeper immersion in existence. There's a depth to our existence that we find and we sink down into and we find in the midst of our depth of existence that there is something divine, holy, true God to be is there. Or the philosopher Paul Tillich as we've talked about before, defines God as simply the ground of being or the ground of all being, that there's this undercurrent, this base tone, if you will, that's happening underneath all of the world and reality and our lives and existence that we find this ground, this uh, source of all being. Or maybe if some of the philosopher theologians don't work for you, how about this guy, Albert Einstein? He decided to talk about God and his belief like this. He says, try and penetrate with our limited means the secrets of nature, and you will find that behind all of the discernible concatenations, there remains something subtle, intangible, and inexplicable. There's something here, Einstein is saying. Veneration for this force 
beyond anything that we can comprehend, he says, is my religion, is my belief. Or if you need something a little more rooted in scripture, we look at this idea that Paul, more than anybody else, seems to talk about this idea of Christ that is found here and now. And he says this, that Christ is all and in all. Or John the Apostle, in his letter to the church in the scriptures, he simply defines, you want to know what God is? It's love. It's found in all things, this loving interaction that we see, we experience, and we interact with. We know intimately this God. We know his name in the midst of love. Or if others have simply said that God is ultimate reality, divine presence, and mystery. For many of us, this idea and this concept of God can feel like a step away from everything we've potentially been told and we've experienced in life. But for me, and I believe scripturally, and I believe just in reality, there is this invitation to interact with God and to set aside an old, archaic, broken way to think about God, to find something far more true and beautiful. My son Anders, in the midst of what's happening uh, with the quarantine and no school taking place, has found uh, himself uh, trying to self-educate. And obviously, Kate and I, uh, as parents, are trying to be good parents and be a part of that education process. But we also want to find tools that can help him be a part of that as well. And one of the tools that we have was this program that his grandmother had signed up for. And this program is something where you kind of hop online and there's all these different learning paths and things that he could do and just continue to grow in his education and learn things like letters and sounds and those kinds of things. Good stuff, right, for a five-year-old? So we're in, uh, in this program and Anders, you know, he does pretty good, but there's this thing, this element with this software, this online program that he loves more than anything else. And when he hops on to do his lessons, he wants to just jump straight to this because in this soft software and program is this thing known as the pet park. And the pet park is an opportunity for him to purchase a virtual pretend pet and to feed it, to water it, to clean it. You can get fish, you can get tigers, you can get frogs, you can have lots of different pets. And the, the work or the job is to interact with these pets and make sure that all the bubbles on the bottom, you can see them right there they are, <laughs> are green. Uh, that these bubbles, when they're green, it means your pet is happy. And then they turn yellow or they turn red when they are unhappy. And so Anders loves these pets. And time after time after time, it's time to, you know, close up the online lessons. It's time to move on to something else. And we find Anders getting so frustrated and angst-ridden because He's got to take care of his pets. He really, really needs to make sure that all those bubbles are green. And he's just so nervous and so excited. And he wants to make sure, I hope my pets are okay. I hope my pets are okay. In the middle of the day, Dad, can I check on my pets? What if my pets aren't okay? What if my pretend dog is not happy with me? And many of us have experienced this before, whether it was uh, the GigaPets back in the day or whether it's some online uh, thing, whether it was our Sims. Uh, there's so many different experiences that we've had where you have something virtual that you're interacting with. Well, here's the interesting thing. Anders loves playing with his virtual pet. He loves feeding his virtual pet, watering his virtual pet, paying, or excuse me, cleaning his virtual pet, doing all the things that he can do with his virtual pet. Meanwhile, we have a dog. 
At the Blakesley household, there is this creature known as Stella. And Stella is usually right here as Anders is playing with this virtual pet. And Stella would love attention. She would love some water. She would love a treat. She would love for Anders to pet her and play with her. But Anders is so focused on this virtual thing that he is completely oblivious to the actual real-life pet that's found right beside him. I believe that there is a tendency for us to grab onto religion and rituals and narratives that are intended to help us deal with reality. See, the truth about this pet park thing is that it's meant to help Anders understand how to take care of a pet. Way to go. That there would be some things he could learn from that. But the goal of that thing is that he would set that down and then be able to deal with Stella in reality. But he gets so caught up in the virtual world of what's taking place that he actually misses the reality of what's in front of him. Many times, religion and rituals become these things that are meant to help us interact with to be reality, the divine presence, God, That's what they're for. But how many of us know what it's like to get so caught up in religion and rituals, traditions and narratives, and they become this virtual pet, this thing in and of themselves that are completely separate, like Anders and his pretend dogs, completely separate from reality. And we're spending so much of our time and energy around language, ideas, songs, thoughts, church services, things that are meant to help us here, but we miss out because we become so focused here that we're actually missing out on the reality around us. My fear is that we can spend our lives and energy worrying about and working to relate to a man in the sky, an idea and a narrative, something maybe, a ritual that actually isn't a thing. And meanwhile, there is this reality, this ground of all being that is found right here and now in our midst. So for us in this moment, when it comes to COVID-19 and what's taking place, our lives have been disrupted. Our rituals have been disrupted. Church has been disrupted. For many of us, the idea of prayer or songs or all the things potentially that we used to do to connect with this ground of all being has been disrupted. Okay. But for me, I think the most important question is, if God is not a man in the sky that we're trying to pray to, to get down here to come and fix everything, then what are we doing to actually interact with this ground of all being, with ultimate reality and what's taking place? And how are we doing that? And what rituals maybe did we have to set aside for a period of time? Do we need to pick up and say, okay, what are the things that are going to help me here and now in this moment to interact, not with a man in the sky, not with some pretend virtual world kind of thing, but actually what's taking place and what's going on? For us as CMYK, we have language, we have thoughts, we have ideas for how we choose to go about our life 
as a community. And for many of you, this is not going to be anything new. But I hope you see and understand why we talk about this stuff all the time. Because when it comes to interacting with the divine and interacting with God, I do not want myself or CMYK to be this space or this community, whether we're meeting virtually or in real life, that we just have these pretend things that we're playing with and we're doing that are all virtual, but they're actually not helping us interact in a more beautiful way forward together in our lives, in our communities, with our families, how we work and create and live. That should be the point of these things, that they actually help us do that. And so for us, we have this language of our work is to be present here and now. If God is this divine presence in this moment to be the depth of all existence, there's something here and now in this moment, then I must work to just be present. And I just did it. I use this word work. I do it all the time. And a friend of mine a couple weeks ago flagged me on it. They said, Matt, this actually has nothing to do with work. This is just being. This is just breathing. It's resting. To be present is not and should not be work all the time, but should be something we simply find ourselves doing because it's in this rest, in this present moment. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to accomplish anything. We don't have to say any special prayers or do anything magical to try and get God to show up in our lives. We simply breathe deep and understand there's something sacred, holy, divine found right now in the ground underneath all of this stuff. There's something here and I want to be present fully in this moment. I love the way Richard Rohr says it. He says, I have never been separate from God, nor can I be, except in my mind. So we work to be present. We then work to be honest. What is our experience? What's really happening? What's really going on in the world, in our lives, in and around us? And this is where it's so significant because many times religion and rituals are, can be a distraction away from what's really taking place. We're playing this virtual game and doing these all, all these things. Meanwhile, there's something actually really happening. There is the divine presence here and now in this moment. And I believe God is always and only found in reality, in honesty, in what's really taking place. And so we've got to be honest about where we're at with things, good or bad, because God, the divine, is found in both good and bad. Existence to be, presence, being. And so we interact with God by simply working to be honest with ourselves and with those around us. Honesty is not about trying to get a certain language right or a certain name right or checking all the boxes to make sure that we do religion or spirituality or Christianity right. Honesty is just only that, honesty. I love the way that it's put by Paul Tillich. He says, The name of this infinite and inexhaustible depth and ground of all being is God. That depth is the word, is what the word God means. And then I love it because for many of us, we struggle with a history of a God up there that we're working to get to come down. We can't do that anymore. And so he says, If that word God has not much meaning for you, translate it and speak of the depths of your life of the source of your being, of your ultimate concern. He says, just be honest with what's going on and what you take seriously without any reservation. He says, perhaps in order to do so, you must forget everything traditional that you have learned about God. 
You understand the weight of what he's saying? We forget everything that we find traditional about what was God. We set that aside for the sake of something that's real. He says, for if you know that God means depth, you know much about him. And then I love, love, love this statement. He says, he who knows about depth of life, beauty, joy, he who knows about depth knows about God. Just be honest. And so for many of us, we have to learn in this moment with what's happening with coronavirus, we have to learn to listen to our experience and honestly deal with what's taking place. When it comes to our idea of God and beliefs and religion, we have to deal honestly with our experience and what's taking place and what has been helpful for experiencing this divine presence and what has been harmful or a distraction from this divine presence. Just be honest. To be honest and to interact with the divine, it means to listen to the natural world around you. That if God, this presence and being, is infused in all of the world and existence and reality around us because that's God then it means we need to ask the question of, okay, what is destructive to the natural world? Because we are being destructive to this and with this God. We need to listen to those around us. If God is found in love, this interaction with one another, then we need to listen to how we're actually impacting, how are our actions, our words, the way we are acting online, per se. How is that impacting and affecting the people around me? Because that is impacting and affecting my relating and, and dialoguing, if you will, with this God. That we just have to be honest about what's really happening and what the impact of our actions are. Again, religion is not a distraction away from reality. It's an invitation. It should be an invitation into a depth of it. Or for some of us, it's learning to listen to our own body. The Christ, the divine, is found in you. And so what's painful what's hard, what's difficult, and to listen to the physical body, if you will, because even in that is found the divine, and to be honest about those things for what is good, true, beautiful, and healthy, because it's in that that we interact with the divine, because he is this ground of being. And then we move to this idea of working to be open. Being open If this God and presence is found everywhere, in everything, in everyone, then we need to be open to the fact that it doesn't exist solely within my brain, within my experience, within my beliefs, within my traditions, within my theology. But this God is so much bigger and so much more than I will ever be able to contain. This is about being open to reality around me. So I might have a narrative. I might have a thought for how things are going. But the invitation into interacting with this divine is to always be open to a reality of what's taking place. Even if it contradicts what I hoped or what I want to believe. That I have my eyes open to the reality that is happening in and around me. Again, I love Richard Rohr and the way that he talks about this. He says the Christ, as he talks about this divine presence, this ground of all being, the idea of God, he says the Christ is always way too much for us, larger than any one era, culture, empire, or religion. 
Its radical inclusivity is a threat to any power structure and any form of arrogant thinking. He goes on. He says, Jesus by himself has usually been limited by the evolution of human consciousness in these first 2,000 years and held captive by culture, by nationalism, and by Christianity's own cultural captivity to white, bourgeois, and Eurocentric worldview. In other words, there's something big happening here, but we haven't experienced most of us with this idea of Jesus that is it's incredibly limited to just these things. And that we need to be open to a God, a presence, a reality that's actually taking place in and around us. And then last but not least, as we close tonight, there is this concept and this idea that we talk about of working to be loved. Now, when we stop focusing, this is where things get crazy. When we stop focusing on getting everything right and trying to play this game of getting God to come down here and impact our life and do different things, all of a sudden we can start focusing on doing right. When we stop focusing on working to be loved by a God that's up there and angry with us for something, all of a sudden we can focus on being love because there is this love that's already present, to breathe deep and to tap into that, to understand that, to be present, honest, and open to that, is then an invitation to then go and do love, to be loved. As God is love, it is here that we find this ground of all being, I believe, most present and most potent. That when we can go through this process of being present, being honest, being open, and then we can work to be this embodiment of love, it's here that we most find this divine interaction. And so our focus and our work is to do these things and to see ourselves actually being the embodiment of love in reality, not some pretend made-up world with theological Thanks again for tuning in. As and always, if things, there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also while there, you can figure out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged into or give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon. He says it is those who do it right that matter not those who say it right. He says, Yet verbal orthodoxy has been Christianity's preoccupation, at times even allowing us to burn people at the stake for not saying it right. For many of us, we've been focused on trying to get a language or an idea or theology just right. And we think that that's the goal of all of this stuff. It's a virtual pet. It's a pretend thing. It's something that we're trying to focus on that, yes, should hopefully help us deal in reality, but we should not get so focused and anxious, just like Anders, about this thing when there is this reality that is already here in our midst. And so now we can go and be the embodiment of love because we're not playing this game anymore. We can just go see our neighbor, see our enemy, see the other, see someone who doesn't look, act, talk, think, believe like us. And we can be present. We can be honest. We can be open to this divine presence and we can work to be the embodiment of love. This is what rituals and religion are for, I believe, to help us actually interact with reality. I love, for me personally, where I'm at right now, to think about and to talk about God as reality 
is something that's been really freeing and significant for me. That if I want to interact with God, I just work to get to reality, the depth of what this actually is and what's going on, and to be willing to explore it and to be honest about it and to talk about it. That there's no place that I'm unwilling to talk about and explore and be open and honest about because God is found in reality, and I can be honest about that. But whatever your language, whatever your idea of God is, in this ground of all being, this to be, this I am, my hope is that you would have in this moment some rituals, some things, some rhythmic things that you're doing, that you're able to continually interact with this reality. For some of you, it might be going for walks or runs. For others, it might be enjoying great food and drink. There's a reason that the church for thousands of years has revolved around a meal because there's this presence, this divine depth of all being that's found in just breaking bread and sharing a really good meal together. There's something there. And so for some of you, you find this depth of life and joy and peace in those moments. So you lean into that as a ritual. You lean into that. It's beautiful. It's good. It's true. For others of us, it's intentional relationships and community that we connect with regularly. For some, it's acts of service and sacrifice. This should be a part of all of our lives on some level, yes. But for some, it's like, man, this is just like, whoo, it's like feeding a drug addict. I just love this stuff. And you continue to interact with the divine in that moment. Yes, okay. For others, it's spending time in the wild, nature. You got to get out in the mountains because there in this ground of all being, when you're around all of this stuff, you just sense and know, okay, there's something deeper here. There's something bigger here now in this moment and you're in and you can experience and interact with this God. For others of us, it's yard work. (laughs) And for many, it's art, it's creativity. It's these kinds of things that there's in the midst of this work, there's something inside of you that comes alive and you feel like, okay, there's, there's something more here than just a beating heart and, you know, breath in my lungs. There's something sacred and significant about this life and this work. And I want to engage this kind of stuff. And so whatever it is for you, and even for some, it could be a church service. Even for some, it could be songs or prayers. Yes, it can be those things. But the point of all of this is not to get caught up on a ritual or an idea and to play this virtual game all the while you miss reality. The point is in the midst of coronavirus and what's taking place to not miss all of these church gatherings or rituals that you potentially had and feel like, ah, oh, man, I got to get back to those because I got to find God. No, It's here and now in this moment. And for some of you, the best thing that you could do, and I really mean this, the best thing that you could do is to avoid church service, to avoid singing songs to God. Go for it. If there is something, any ritual that helps you interact with the depth of existence and what's really happening here, go for it and give yourself fully to that. So the question is, how are you doing? Because this is our ritual, and this is how we go about it. How are you doing at being present in the midst of it? What's going on? Even as things start to open up, the new normal is the new normal going to be a reset back to what was, or is there this invitation as you've been maybe more present than you have been in a while to continue that because there's something here and we don't want to miss it? Don't just go back to a ritual. How are you doing at being present? To being honest. Are you being truly honest with yourself, with those around you? How are you doing at being open to things outside of yourself, ideas, beliefs, people outside of yourself? And how are you doing in this moment at working to be the embodiment of love? It's in this that we continue to interact with 
I am. It was his name in the beginning, and it's his name forever. There's an intimacy when we can understand this name and connect with existence, reality, the depth of life.